my hope is that whatever I do in this life, it can help point somebody towards what they can do for somebody else. So mm -hmm. that's for my kids, my family, my fans, anybody they interact with. I say this all the time when I go to play music at other places. I want everybody to have a good time. The fans, the booker, even the guy mixing sounds, the stagehands, like if everybody has a great time and says, wow, that was an awesome experience, then I feel like I won. And I think if we have that attitude as we go at everything in life, if I can make everybody win that I interact with or take another step towards greatness for themselves, then that's a success and a win for me. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. I am so excited to be here today with one of my favorite human beings, Matt Fawcett. So Matt is from a small town in Ohio. He's gone from living in a small town, born and raised, to playing stages across America. He's a singer-songwriter and a worship leader, and he focuses on connecting in a deep, deeper way with his audience. And he's someone in my personal life that has just been like a beam of constant positivity. Like you just radiate light <laughs> and positivity. And I, I so appreciate that. And, you know, also just watching your journey as a musician and seeing the impact that you're making on your fans, like you truly care about them, hearing the stories of you connecting with these private shows that you've played with your fans has, has been really inspirational. And mm. uh, I'm excited to, to connect with them today to dive into that. And you talk about, you know, what you're doing, Matt, and really about the value of building community and grassroots marketing and connecting in a deeper way with your fans. Because I think we're kind of at this point where in the past, in order to be seen as a successful musician, you know, you needed to be a household name and be signed to a record label and be, have millions of fans. And nowadays we have an opportunity where you can actually take your career into your own hands and you can you know, connect in a really deep way with a smaller number of fans and you can have a very successful career. And so uh, I think it's going to be a really helpful conversation for artists to, to be a part of. So Matt, thank you for taking time to be here today. Oh, for sure. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate you and saying all the nice things and just super thankful for you and who you are as a human being. A lot of people may see you on the podcast side or the video side and that sort of thing. But having actually met you in real life in person and been able to see you off script and off screen, that you're just as real then, even if not more so. And just really appreciate the fact that you are who you are as a human being all around and not just in front of others. So thank, thanks for always being that light and being that person as well for me in my own personal life. So thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, how about we kick things off by you know, maybe doing a quick introduction to your story as it relates to your music and yeah, yeah i'd love to hear you before you came across body musician kind of where were you at in your music and what made you decide like when did, how did you discover body musician and what made you decide to really pursue your music full-time great question so i have been writing songs since i was a kid i actually started off with just poems and my parents got me my first guitar because I begged them for three things growing up. I wanted a go-kart, a skateboard, and a guitar. Every Christmas, birthday, gift-giving holiday, it was those three things. I got the skateboard when I was like five or something like that, six. The go-kart never came, unfortunately. But when I turned 11, my parents <laughs> gave me my first acoustic guitar. And three weeks after that, I learned three chords. And the youth leaders at my church were like, hey, do you want to lead worship? Like, Sure. Like I know <laughs> to be, three chords. To be fair, when, when when you learn three chords, you can do you can do a lot with those, <laughs> those three chords. If you got four chords, now it's now we're really talking. That's right. So since that time, like I I'd been writing poems before that, and it was actually my piano teacher because I took seven years of piano lessons that taught me how to actually marry chords with lyrics and actually write my first song. And all throughout grade school, high school, college was playing music, writing songs and leading worship pretty much wherever. Went to work at a camp, Christian camp for a while. Did a lot of camp ministry stuff, leading worship there. And then got a job working in music retail. And it was, music was always been a passion of wanting to do it full time. I uh, just had no idea what the path forward was. 
And I worked at the music retail job for about eight years. And for me personally, like it was just soul sucking. Like I was doing gigs. I was playing out at certain times, but I would get these gigs that would be like winery gigs on the weekend that were like three hours of just playing in the background. And I just felt like I couldn't truly connect with people. And a lot of my music is meant to connect and take people on a journey. And so it's just really hard. And then going to a job to support doing the music stuff and feeling like I had so much pent up inside of me that I just didn't know what to do and felt like I was just kind of say like decomposing from the inside. And the good part was I had a lot of my family's always been super encouraging and very, very supportive of what I've done. And I have a wife and four kids and I had taken a handful of different courses from other people in the industry about how to do shows better, how to try to connect with people online. And eventually I just said, all right, I'm done with the job. I'm jumping in with both feet and I'm going to do this thing. I'm either going to do it or fail trying because this whole like halfway in, halfway out thing just wasn't going to work. Mm. So that was two months before I found Modern Musician. My wife and I decided we're going to leave the full-time job, put in music. And I, my parents live probably about 20 minutes away from us. And I would go over to their house and I would sit on my computer and I would just try to do music full-time by connecting with people and posting stuff and just trying to figure stuff out. And I just was, I had no idea what was going on. And I believe it was actually a podcast that you had done with Rick Barker. That was where I first heard about Modern Musician. And it just resonated. The whole virtual tour hacking resonated with me. I ended up going to one of the master classes and then talking with Ari specifically about getting involved with Modern Musician. And my wife had seen me spend money on other courses before, and they had resulted in very, very little to absolutely no results. And so I told her, I'm really hyped on this Modern Musician thing. It's, you know, it's more than I've spent on a course before but I really think like this is the answer. And she said, you can do it if you tell them no first. I said, what? She's like, if they say you have to pay now, then you're not allowed to do it. And I said, okay. So I was on the phone call with Ari, super nervous because it's like, I don't want to tell them, like I know deep in my heart, this is the people that I need to be around, the people that are going to help me succeed. And I told Ari, I was like, listen, like I appreciate it. Like I really want to do this, but I'm my wife. And I really need to take some time to think about it. He's like, that's totally fine. You know, when do you want to meet again? And do you want me, do you want to bring your wife on the call next time so that she can kind of understand and see all this stuff? And I said, yeah, you know, that'd be great. Let me talk with her. And so we set a phone call for the week out. And as soon as I got off the phone, I called my wife and said, hey, like, these are the people and we're going to totally do this. She said, okay. She's like, did you pay for it already? I said, no. And she's like, oh, well, I kind of figured you were going to anyway. I was like, no, no, no. I told you that I was going to stick to the plan. And so that's how I got involved with Modern Musician, doing the Gold Artist Academy at the time and doing the coaching program. And it absolutely wrecked my life in such a good way. Not only owning up to what I need to do as a small business owner, but also getting the tools and the knowledge of how to do that in a very complex and loop they're not lucrative, but like fluid world, because the music industry is always constantly changing. Um, the product is essentially you. And so you have to figure out a way to sell yourself to the people who really want to hear you, which it's an overabundance of noise and music that's out there, which is great. But finding a way to deeply connect with people is really the whole goal of what you're doing as a musician. Because if it was just to create music, anybody can do that. In fact, we all do that anyway. But to do it, and reciprocate that with having fans that actually support you and want you to do more of it. That's really where it goes from just being a hobby or something that you enjoy doing to really being something that's a mission, vision, and literally a career. Mm. Oh man, <laughs> that is so awesome. I, you know, I don't think I actually knew all of the, the details of, of your journey kind of leading up to that, but that, that totally rings true. And mm. how awesome that you had the, you know, the relationship with your wife and the support, you know, of the people who yeah. are closest to you to, you know, in your mission, in your, in your vision, not everybody has that, you know, for, for a lot of us, I feel like that could be one of the biggest challenges is feeling like yeah. you have this dream and you know, maybe you mentioned in your case, you've tried other things before and maybe they haven't all totally panned out and being able to rely on someone close to you that's yeah, still willing to you know, believe in you and, and stick with it 
is amazing. So I'd be curious to hear what your rec- like, what's your secret? <laughs> like, what's your recommendation for anyone who's listed this right now who like maybe they feel like that's a, a challenge for them is getting on the same page mm-hmm. with a partner or or their the people that are closest to them who may or may not you know fully believe you know in in their vision. I'm mm-hmm. cu- yeah curious to hear what your thoughts are around that. How can yeah, they can best enroll the people who are most important in them, you know, including themselves in, in their vision? I think some of that comes down to spend more time showing rather than telling. Like my wife and I have a very open communication between each other. We're very honest with each other in the way that we talk about what we want, what we desire, what we view our life as, what we'd like to accomplish. And I think sometimes where I've seen it be more difficult is to go and try to convince, you know, if it's something that I want to do, like buy a motorcycle, which I did like two years for the first time in my life. If I spend more time just talking about it, but not actually doing anything towards it or like prepping for it or saving money to be able to do that. And I just talk about it and and try to convince her that it's a good idea. I can see how that could be a rub for a lot of people is like, if you're not actively pursuing trying to do music full time or working on getting like, there's plenty of things that you can do completely for free that show that you're actively pursuing wanting to make music a career. But if you're not doing those things, you're not posting on social media, you're not trying to find opportunities, you're not trying to make connections with other musicians to support them and have them support you, then it's really hard because I I really do feel like the people who are closest to you genuinely care about you. They really do want what's best for you. And coming from being a parent side of things, if I see something that's potentially gonna hurt my child, I want to try to protect and hold them from that. The music industry is not butterflies and rainbows and where everybody's just cheering for you 24 seven. There's a lot of hurtful comments and things that I've gotten from people just because I put my music on Facebook, like, or Instagram. (laughs) And so I think some of that comes from a protection side of things that people want to make sure that like, because they love you, they don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you hurt. And so if you kind of understand that that's probably the perspective they're coming from, you can see it from their point of view, but then also understand that like, Hey, like, you know, if you're starting to get mean comments online, understand that like, Hey, somebody else tried to warn you about that and they're going to try to help protect you as much as possible. So be honest and try to pursue and show what you're doing more than just trying to convince with words that like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Cause there've been multiple times where we've had friendship relationships. All of us have, where we said like, yeah, like I'm, so, I'm going to go buy that car. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And we, we never do. <laughs> mm. It's just kind of like, mm. well, I don't want to get hundred percent behind your dream. If that's really what you want to do, if you're not going to actually pursue it or go after it. So. Yeah. Oh man. There's so much gold in there. Yeah. I think the, the life principle of you know, leading by example and mm. the idea that who you are speaks louder than what you say is so important. And it seems like what you just shared is, you know, an angle of that statement, who you are speaks louder mm-hmm. than what you say. And so, or yeah, as Gandhi put it, you'll be the change that you want to see in the world. Like there's kind of an internal shift that can happen when you make that shift, then people generally can sense it and they can feel it. Mm-hmm. They can feel that you've actually made a real decision and that you're showing up, that you're being, you know, that, that person, which leads me to another point in your story that I think is really powerful, which is that moment that you say that you decided to, instead of just kind of like putting your, your foot in the water, kind of being in and out, it's like with, with your music that you said that there was a moment that you basically decided like, no, oh, like I'm, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to go all mm-hmm. in on this. So I'm curious for you, like what that moment looked like. And if there was anything mm-hmm. specifically that led you to that moment where you made that decision and how you felt during that and kind of what was the effect immediately after you made that decision. Yeah. So it was a combination of a lot of different things. The job that I had, as helpful as it was financially, it really did. And my wife was the one that saw this too. Like it really did affect me as an individual of just soul sucking. Like it was, it was everything that I was trying to do to get ahead and to do that job well ended up coming back and in some ways not being helpful. And so there were a lot of different things there to where it was really the question of if this is as good as it's going to get, is this really what I want to do the rest of my life? 
And some of that came because of COVID. Like when COVID happened, we all got sent home. We were working from home and I could see my kids. I could have lunch with them. I saw them more often. I could have dinner. I could easily shut my computer off and then go downstairs and see them for a quick break. Instead of going to, you know, double up on caffeine for the third time that day, I could go give my son a hug. And realizing that like, if this is as good as it's going to get, and I still feel like I'm just barely surviving mentally in doing this job, and I feel like I'm missing out on what I'm really called to do, then I need to stop pretending like I'll be satisfied doing this the rest of my life. And so it took a lot of conscious decisions to be made in discussions with my wife. And also like financially, like we made sure that we, you know, it, it was not just a split second decision of like, screw you workplace, I'm going to do this thing. It was very much a calculated risk, but it was a calculated risk because the unknown of leaving that job, though as scary as it was, had the infinite potential to be a much higher ceiling than what I already knew the ceiling was. And I wasn't happy with where the ceiling was and what I was currently doing. And I knew I could actually go and help a lot more people and connect with a lot more people on a deeper level if I chose to do something that potentially, again, without great risk, there's no great reward. And so it really was kind of a sigh of relief when I decided, okay, I'm going in all, all on this. I'm just going for this. It was a huge sigh of relief knowing that I was actually felt like I was aligned with what I was called to go and do. And yet at the same time, there's still that gnawing fear of, I just hosed my entire family. <laughs> but the reality of that is, again, if, if the known still wasn't what I wanted and still wasn't where I felt like I was supposed to be, I mean, I can always go back to that known or a similar known, but I would rather continue to risk and go for a much greater ceiling of what I can potentially give back to the world, give to other people, than to go back to a situation where, you know, their, their security, and I put that in air quotes because we've seen enough post-COVID to where the standard job really isn't as secure as we always thought. And so if, if I'm going to call out my kids as they get older and say, hey, your mom and, your, your mom and dad want to support you and what you want to go do, you do what you're passionate and what you're created for and we'll help you figure out a way to make a living doing it. I knew with one question, my kids would be able to look at me and say, yeah, but dad, you didn't if I didn't mm -hmm. take this risk. And that really was the linchpin of knowing like, okay, here's the ceiling. And if this is what I want to be able to tell my kids and with one question of just saying like, dad, you can push, you can encourage us as much as you want to, but if you weren't willing to take that risk, why should we? Yeah. I kind of at that point knew that for the sake of my kids and the sake of everybody that I had have the opportunity to be able to influence, like I needed to be willing to take a leap of faith and then continue to walk by faith every single day. Cause that's usually what people look at is they look at like, Oh man, that's so crazy. You left your full-time job and you didn't know what you were doing afterwards. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, that takes so much faith. I was like that. Yeah. But you could easily make that as like one stupid choice. Like anybody can leave their job, full-time job real quick, but mm -hmm. it's the daily get up and continue to walk every single day without running back to what we think is security that really is the testament of whether or not you truly believe in what you're doing. And I'm not saying that people should never look for a part-time job or, you know, go back to a full-time job to help with finances and that sort of thing. But if you truly want to prove to yourself that this is what you're all in on there, you have to have that honest conversation, even mentally and with your spouse, your family, other people who are involved, just be like, Hey, like this is plan a, and if this is plan A, then we're, then we're going to figure out how to make it work. There's a really good YouTube video called The Last Lecture. And in it, he talks about how there's walls or barriers or hurdles. And those walls, barriers, and hurdles are in the way, not for you, but for everybody who doesn't deserve where you're going. Well, if you've somehow placed that there's going to be a wall or a hurdle that's going to be insurmountable, that when you get to that point, you're not going to be able to make it round, you might as well just go to plan B because you've already told yourself that there is going to be a challenge that you're not willing to try to figure out. If you give yourself permission to constantly say, I'm going to figure this out and there will be no challenge that I'm not going to figure out how to get around. You basically unlock your mind and your mentality to go after every single one as these are not, these are not hurdles for me. 
they're opportunities for me to figure out how I can be where I need to get. I started to feel emotional when you're talking about the mm -hmm. realization you had with your kids and you sort of realizing that staying in a job that felt soul sucking and you know, that you know, allowed you to provide for them, but you meant that you were not happy and not living you know, in congruence with who you wanted to be, seeing that that would actually have a negative impact on, on their lives and, you know, and them achieving their own dreams is such a powerful motivator. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the idea to go all in and give it a shot, being willing to, you know, to have courage to, to basically go into the unknown, you know, is a decision that all of us have to make. If you, you know, are making a decision to start building a music career, you kind of have to you know, take that, that step at some point. And so it's really helpful hearing that, that story, I think it's gonna be inspiring to, to a lot of people. In terms of, you know, for, for in your story, you had a bit of an opportunity Right. And, and all of us, mm -hmm. you know, experienced COVID, <laughs> you know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of us had that sort of realization during COVID where it was like, wow, now we have space and we get to, you know, have some more flexibility in terms of who do we want to be? What do we want to do with our time? Now, you know, there's in some ways it kind of, we've been able to fall back into a rhythm in terms of our normal lives. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear your perspective for, someone who might be listening to this right now, who maybe they're in a similar place to where you were with your job, where maybe they're working somewhere that maybe to them does feel soul sucking, or even if it's not quite as severe, like it just feels like they know this isn't really what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And, you know, their music is something that they are passionate about, but you know, maybe they've tried out a few things and, and it hasn't totally panned out yet. And they're looking for, you know, a way to take a smart risk and be able to actually give their music a shot. I'm curious what your recommendations for them would be in terms of like, how do you, how do you go all in when, you know, maybe you are currently relying on, you know, this other job at the same time? Yeah. Great question. Probably the best way to do that is to purposefully partition your time. So most of the time when we've got standard rhythms of life and things, we get up, we eat breakfast, we take a shower, work out, whatever, go to work, come back. And then it's mode of, okay, I just, especially if you have a job that's draining and whatever you're doing, mm. best thing you can do is figure out how to get up at 5am in the morning. And that yeah. honestly, I didn't do that. And I was never a morning person. I was the stereotypical, I'm a musician. I stay up till 2 a.m. I'll get up whenever the sun glistens my eyes or whenever my employer says you're fired if you don't get here by then. I'll get up at that point in time and do it. But really, the first part of taking ownership of really wanting to do something outside of your norm is to cause yourself to start making smart sacrifices that affect you and you alone. It's really easy to look at sacrifices of, well, if we didn't have Netflix and if we didn't have Disney Plus or we didn't have all these other different things that I had to pay for, then I could spend more money on training or ads or this subscription for my music stuff or doing another single. Like it's, But all those are sacrifices towards mm. the family and towards other things. One mm. thing that mm. is... Money and time too, if yeah. you think about it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so when you start looking at what can I sacrifice, I can sacrifice not sleeping in and getting up early to work on the stuff that you're passionate about so that when you are exhausted from the job you come home from, you're not giving what's left to that. So you can put in your purposeful time in the morning towards what you're passionate about. And that's where I'd start. And then really like, and this, may seem weird to say, but like the best thing you can do is literally get coaching on where the smart, smart moves on what to do next. Uh, modern musicians really, really good at that specifically. Um, but if you only have a limited amount of time, so if you only have an hour, two hours a day where you can actually dedicate. So if you take from 5 a.m. till 7 a.m. before you have to go to your day job or whatever else you're doing, you want to make sure that those two hours are not you, you know, posting one thing on Instagram and then scrolling the next hour and a half at all the other things and get a bunch of ideas being very, very malicious about how you spend your time 
and specific about it. So like one of the things I do is I have a remarkable and it literally allows me to put a calendar on there. I write everything down. I have my to-do list and I make sure that those are the things I go after. Cause as soon as we get into passive mode with our time, we think we're not hurting anybody, but really what we're doing is we're hurting ourselves because passive time where we just let it pass, we're not utilizing the moments that we have to make the biggest impact that we could. So be intentional about how you're spending your time, make the risks and the sacrifices towards yourself to spend the time on what you want to before, because your time's always going to be required somewhere else. Even if you work for yourself with music stuff, like I'm still a husband, I'm still a father. We still, you know, volunteer at our church. There's still friends that call up and say they need to move and they need somebody with a pickup truck and a strong back. Like there are other things that are always going to ask of your time. If you figure out how to start blocking it and sacrificing your free time or your chill time towards what you're really passionate and working on, that'll start opening up the doors to where the bigger risk will make more sense because now you're mm -hmm. spending a lot more time, a lot more effort on one thing you're truly passionate about. And you're starting to see positive things happening. You're starting to see wins that are coming, finances coming through there. You're starting to book gigs that are actually making you money, but that's not going to happen. If you just think about it, you have to actually like start putting time and effort towards it. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Time. Gosh. This is probably one of the most valuable habits in my entire life is this practice of every day looking at my to-do list and assigning my top three most valuable tasks to do and blocking off the very first you know, three hours of my day to like only do those tasks. And it's so simple, yep. but you know, if that's all you do, then you're like in the top 0.5% because you know you're actually prioritizing your time and doing that first thing first before you open up your phone and scroll on social media before you open up your email you know if you can actually block off those first few hours it's so valuable and it does seem like there's there's a lot of wisdom to the idea that you know time passes the same for everybody regardless of who you are or what you're doing like we all literally have like time passes the same way. Like we have as many hours in a day as, you know, anyone has, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. And therefore the difference is how we spend that time and how we utilize that time and focusing on those key leverage points because there's the same amount of time, but it's just like how you, you focus and prioritize that time. It's such a valuable uh, lesson to to do that time blocking and, and i love what you what you suggested too in terms of for anyone that feels like you don't have enough time or you know you're working a job that you know kind of pays the bills right now and right now your music is sort of like what's left over after you're kind of exhausted from the day intentionally deciding you're going to wake up two or three hours earlier and then doing like the focus blocks before you go do that awesome piece of advice mm -hmm. And honestly, like, because I was somebody who considered themselves a night owl, that is one of the things that it was always a limiting belief of, well, I'm only really creative when I'm, when it's later at night and that sort of thing. Mm. The more that I've been getting up at 5am, the more I'm realizing, like, if my mind is fresh and I'm intentional about getting things done, man, I'm a lot more creative when my mind is fresh and I'm, I'm more so creative even more than when I was, you know, super late at night. And that was just a thought of like, well, that's just, you know, that's how I've been in the past. I've always been creative then. It's amazing when your mind is fresh, how much more creative you are and everything else, because you're giving your brain a chance to actually work on everything that it's been thinking about. And when it's free and open and actually gives you an opportunity to have time to do it instead of sacrificing sleep on the back end, it's amazing how much you can accomplish and how much more creative you are. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point that even if you feel like you're a night owl or that's how you've you know, identified that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's who you actually like will be in the future. It doesn't mean that you can't wake up early. I mean, I had the exact same experience. I remember I used to, I used to stay up to like three or 4am and maybe this is just a part of being a teenager, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you, you stay up all night and do stupid things and then you feel not good the next day and you don't realize it's because you didn't get any sleep. Um, <laughs> 
but I had the same, you know, the same journey, you know, where I was a night owl and, and I think that's pretty normal you know, in the music industry. And mm-hmm. when I started waking up early, it was amazing. Yeah. In terms of like my actual creativity and my output, my productivity, it shot through the roof. And yeah, in those, those first at the beginning of the day before you've, yeah, I, I do think there is such a thing as like willpower is sort of like a muscle that like you go to the gym and you can kind of like work it out. And, you know, after you're exhausted, it's, it's certainly possible to do stuff afterwards and to focus on it. But it's sort of like trying to lift weights after you're, you know, you've lifted weights the entire day and you're feeling a bit tired and exhausted. And it's just hard yep. to be most efficient when you aren't rested up. Yep. Yeah. My dad actually, he and I were talking about decision fatigue and some different things with economics this past weekend. And he had even brought up, there was a study done about a parole agent and they went over thousands of different decisions that he had to make. And the only key factor on whether somebody got parole or not was not the severity of the crime, who they were, any, any demographic other than how close was it to the beginning of the day? And how soon after lunch was it? So if it was the beginning of the day, they were more likely to get parole. As it got closer and closer to lunchtime or whatever, it would go down to zero. And then when hey, Matt, it got so to... I'm uh, losing you a little bit here. I, I'm, I'm assuming oh. that probably our folks here oh, on Discord might have lost you for a bit too. But I, we probably have it on the, the podcast itself from the River Street. Oh, yeah. But we lost you and it was you're starting to talk about how there's a... It was, you're talking with your dad and, you, and basically there was an insight that the decision for parole, whether someone gets parole or not. So, so if I understand it right, you know, this is a, a trial or you know, basically a place where you know, people can get an opportunity to leave and there's mm-hmm. an officer that decides, do you get parole or not? Yep. And it literally was based off of if it was towards the beginning of the day or right after lunch. So the beginning of the day, right after lunch, you were probably going to get it. The closer it got from the beginning of day to lunch, it went down to zero. And the closer it got to closing time or the end of the day, it got to zero. And all of it was because of just decision fatigue and when those things came across his desk. And so like Mm. the whole idea of like working out and then trying to do stuff like it, it's how our bodies are made. It's how we're designed. Some people handle it better than others. But think of it this way. If you handle it really, really well, when you're not at the optimum spot. Think of how much better you'll do when you are at a higher optimum level of cognizant ability mm-hmm. and having a fresher mind in the morning. Like you'll just be that much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the same thing kind of applies to multitasking. I feel like, like mm-hmm. we're pretty good at deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're getting more done by multitasking, but there's mm-hmm. just like, you know, mounds of science that shows it's not the case. It's one of those yep. illusions that we can play on ourselves that we're actually being more productive by doing like multiple things at the same time. <laughs> but yeah. what they found is that it's not even close. Like you're way more productive. You focus on one thing at a time. And when you multitask, you just like wreck your ability to effectively do things. Yep. hundred um, percent. Yeah. It's so interesting about decision fatigue too. And I remember hearing a study that was you know, the, the exact same thing you were talking about. And, and it's interesting, both as it relates to decision fatigue, like they have to make decisions. And then, you know, it, because as they near their, their limit, like it's, it's easier just to like say no than to say yes and make a mistake. It's less risky yeah. to say no and like, then to yep. say yes and let someone out. And also the relationship between like lunch and like taking a break and kind of refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also a plus one to, you know, maybe we can figure out some systems to like automate the process a little bit more with AI, (laughs) like maybe an AI (laughs) judge would actually be a little bit more fair in some cases versus someone who would like, you know, it's literally a curve where it's based on the time of day that you get parole. Yep. At the same time, you don't want the AI to make a mistake. (laughs) <laughs> similar to like self-driving cars, right? It seems like they're at a yeah. point right now where basically they would be safer than human drivers. If we just you know said, all right, like we're all going to do it. Like we're doing self-driving cars now. <laughs> then we're at a place where you could basically say yes to that and significantly less people would die because of it. But it's a tricky one because, you know, if the AI makes a mistake, then that's, you know, a big issue because it wasn't your fault, you know, whereas with human drivers, you might be able to say, well, this person was under the influence or they weren't paying attention there on their phone. But 
when do you draw that line of being like, okay, <laughs> it's it's worth you know, the trade-off? Mm-hmm. Well, and to that point, think of it this way. Every single time a, a AI or a self-driving car messes up, it's like, oh, well, this is why it'll never work. Yet how many car mm. accidents do we have every single day? Mm. And some of that comes out as like, all right, are we really trying to find the best way to make it work? Or are we just fr- trying to find the one way that that way that we don't like doesn't work? Um, yeah. And I think like that correlates back to music so quickly to where like as soon as we get one no it's like yep this is the reason why i could never do it like it's not gonna not gonna work out because this one person said my my voice sucked (laughs) on facebook like are you looking for ways to validate that it's Mm -hmm. not gonna work are you looking for ways to validate that it could because again like Mm -hmm. we we you have your license and everything else and we have ways to license drivers to make sure they're safe as they can be but if we found a safer way for people to be able to, to commute with less fit, like would we be willing to give up that power of our own pride of doing it ourselves for the safety of others i don't know it's interesting it's it's definitely interesting i mean in a similar vein you know i one thing that i started doing and this has been a really valuable life habit for me is at night i have a cell phone lockbox yeah. And yeah, you know, eight o'clock at night, my alarm goes off, and I throw my cell phone in a lockbox and I lock it away. And technically, there's a emergency code, or if I really need to get to my phone, I can use it three times total. But after I use <laughs> it three times, it's gone forever, <laughs> so I don't use that code. But you know, it's been really helpful for me to basically just take you know to take it out of my hands and to you know, especially our cell phones and social media is extremely addictive and and hard Mm -hmm. to to set boundaries so yeah for me that's been a really helpful way to kind of take it out of my hands and it's sort of like a acknowledgement of my like setting boundaries around myself where yeah i want to make sure that what i want to have happen is inevitable or just happens on its own and you know that can be a challenging thing to let go of that control like where when as it relates to cars or maybe as it relates to ai for musicians and using it as a tool that can help you know supplement your creativity in some ways it feels challenging to let go of certain bits of control and if instead we kind of reframe it and understand that you don't actually like you know you can actually use this intentionally and you can actually use it to achieve you know your goals or use it to to achieve an outcome and as long as you're doing that then it's just a tool and Mm -hmm. you know it's helping you to go from point a to point b well yeah and even thinking of it that way too i'm letting my stronger self in the mindset that is thinking the most clearly make decisions for when i'm going to be at my weakest so Mm -hmm. same thing as to why like i don't want to have candy all over the house because i know that when i'm munchy at night I am totally going to find exactly where it is, no matter how well I hit it. And because we have small <laughs> children, we have candy all over. But mm. it, if you if you lock it out, if you if you're thinking the most clearly, and you thinking the most clearly dictates decisions for when you're not going to be thinking the most clearly, or when you're going to be decision fatigued, mm. that's only going to help you. You're relinquishing mm. control to your better thinking self at that point in time. This is the same reason why you want to set out your workout clothes before you go to bed the night before. Because when you wake up at 5 a.m., the first thing that you're going to think of is not, oh, I need to go find my gym shorts and go get my shoes on so I can go for a run. The first thing you're thinking of is, I don't really want to get up. I would rather stay here. This is comfortable. Like, And, and we want to go towards comfort. But comfort is not going to actually allow you to explode into your potential. My s- sister, who's a Marine... I asked her because she will go on 26 mile runs for fun because that's what Marines <laughs> wow. do. I'm like, how do you do mm. that? And she's like, honestly, she's like, it's just the mentality of embrace the suck. I know during mm. it, it's going to suck. I know after it, it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. I'm going to be in pain, but I want to do it. I'm just going to embrace how much this sucks and own it all the way through. Like, oh, well, mm. that also is the reason why I'm not a runner yet. But that is one of my goals this year. By the end of the year, I will be a runner. Because I want wow. to teach myself to embrace the suck because that, <laughs> that will apply to everything in your life. If you start looking at things you don't want to do with anticipation of, but I want, I don't want to do this because it's going to be uncomfortable, but I know I have to go through this to get to be the person I want to be or to get where I want to go. 
I want to embrace those things as this is now who I am instead of ah, I just got to figure out because then you're just kind of skirting the system of, well, I'll just barely make it through. Like, no, I want to crush whatever I have to in order to be able to get to the point where I can reach more people with music, connect with more individuals, save more people's lives just by being who I am and sharing um, truth and joy and peace with them. But if I'm always constantly just kind of like, ah, I guess I kind of have to do this, like, am I really putting forth the best effort that I can in order to be able to really reach the people that I need to? Or am I just barely making it? Like, I would rather crush everything that I have to in order to get there as quickly as possible. And again, that's a mentality thing. That's me and my higher thinking being like, this is what I want to do. I'm like, all right, so how do I put things in place to make sure that when those tough things come up where comfort is going to be the easy option, but not the right one? That I deny myself that and go after and embrace the suck of, yep, but this is who I am now. So here we go. Mm. Oh, man. So good. Yeah, yeah that, that seems like a huge lever point is, is that concept of learning how to appreciate and you know, the way you put it, embrace the suck. Or you know, other ways to think about it, like embrace the challenge or embrace the discomfort, stretching your comfort zone. These are all, you know, a core habit of the most successful people is that they've learned how to, you know, embrace the challenge. And you know, one of my favorite quotes was that life is hard if you live it the easy way and it's easy if you live it the hard way. Yep. And you know, a lot of these like, you know, quote unquote sucky or challenging habits or those things, they are challenging at first, you know, mm -hmm. getting, you becoming a runner, going for a 30 minute run in the mornings is challenging at first, but if you do that in the short term, it's hard, but then you keep doing it. It actually gets easy and it actually just feels awesome. You actually can really learn to enjoy it and that ripples out across your whole life. And I love that, you know, the way that you just shared that is like, you know, I, like I am going to be a, a runner. Like that's my identity. Like I'm going to become a runner and you could, I could just tell that you're going to make it happen. One, and I used to feel that way totally when it came to running and now I, I love running and it's just something I, mm -hmm. I do every morning that I'm not at the gym with, with my personal trainer. And one app that was super helpful that mm -hmm. I got started with was called couch to 5k. Oh yeah. And it's an app on your phone and it just creates like a schedule for you. And it starts you out really easily. It's like, I think you run for like five minutes or, or something. It, it, the idea is it takes you from couch to running your first 5k. And I, I just remember that being a really helpful um, resource for me as I was starting to get, you know, to become a runner. And now, yeah, it's one of my favorite habits. And, and part of why I did it was because I saw the research around running mm -hmm. and the benefits that it had more than, you know, just your physical benefits, which obviously it has physical benefits, but it was more around the emotional benefits and the mental benefits. There's yep. been a bunch of science. There's a book called The Spark that really goes deep into this, but around going for walks and going for runs, it has a huge impact on your brain's neuroplasticity and your ability to learn. And, you know, it seems like that's one of the reasons that a lot of successful entrepreneurs and, and people, you know, they have running as a part of their daily habits. So, yeah, I want to honor you for that, that decision to embrace <laughs> the suck in, in your life and, and take on that habit. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a lot what I've learned from you too, is literally just if you want to become there, there's so much work that has to be done behind the scenes on you as a person before you're ready for the success that's coming. It doesn't mean that the success can't come early, but like if I don't become a runner and learn how to embrace that suck and I, I become more successful or I, I get to the next level of whatever I'm working on, I'm mentally not going to be anywhere near as prepared to embrace the challenges that are on that level. If I'm not already mentally getting my brain to that, that mentality level before I arrive there. I think that goes back to your quote too. I'd rather do things hard that I'm making hard than to have life be hard on me because I was just trying to find the easiest way possible to do everything. Mm. So there's one, one topic that I would love to dive in with you, Matt, since you know, yeah. I've heard your stories around like have the relationships that you've built with your fans and the ways that you've changed their lives. And, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, there's sort of the shift in mindset or just reality in that 
you don't need a record label anymore to be a successful musician. You don't have to be a Taylor Swift to be a successful musician. And, you know, to even be a six or seven figure musician, you know, you can, you build your own music career and, and you can impact, you know, fans' lives directly. And so I think one of the things that I really appreciate about you and admire about you is how well you embody, you know, this grassroots focus on connecting with your fans. And so I'd love to hear your perspective around what we were just talking about right now around that shift. And, you know, for you personally, since deciding to go all in on your music career and deciding to, you know, make it you know, a decision to actually to not to be like half in, half out, but actually going in on it. I'm curious what you found and like biggest learning lessons and, you know, maybe challenges along the way, but you know, what you've learned from it. Yeah. So as far as finding your people, again, I think that comes into like the mindset of it's okay for people to hate my music. And like, I literally mean it, like, it's okay for people to literally think that mine is the polka pop version of whatever music that they absolutely despise. Um, <laughs> because if I'm trying to make music for everybody, I am literally going to alienate everyone. I'm, I'm going to miss all of them. Hmm. If I make music specifically for the people that I'm trying to reach, I'll have an, a greater chance of actually reaching those people. And realizing that I don't have to have a bunch of people love me in order to be able to make this a career. I just need to make sure that the people who this is going to impact the most, it truly is the highest value that I can ever serve them. And that mindset and mentality of realizing like it's about them, like your music career is literally about your fans, literally finding in some level like a leader for the way that they see and walk through life. Like they need a community leader to be, Hey, I know we struggle with this. I know we're walking through this, but this is how we're going. This is how we're going to walk through it together. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, think of it. Some of your best friends that you've ever had in your life are going to be people who not only celebrated you with the good times, but they also walked with you through the hardest times you've ever faced. And that's what you label as a good friend and being an, an independent artist literally is being that friend through music for other people. So if I can view my music as the friend that walks with people through the life they're already going to live, I'm going to connect with a lot more people in a much more tangible way than to just say, okay, well, I, I'm just going to write this for radio or I'm going to write this for here or there. And like, it, it allows me to be a lot more personable with my music, but it allows me to connect a lot more deeply with people. And really like after understanding that piece of it's about them, it frees you up to be creative on how you help people you know i've taken phone calls from fans like directly that they've called me because of the number i text them on and i've just talked with them for an hour or two because they were going through something and they needed a friend to talk to now granted there are a lot of people that love my music that are hurting individuals and i you have to know your bounds too like there are times where i've multiple times where i've pointed people towards i think 988 which is the suicide prevention hotline. And when you say just, hurting people, you mean like they're going through challenges yeah. in their own life, like hurting, they're, they're hurting, not necessarily like they're violently yeah, hurting yeah. others. Yeah, no, this is, they, they are going through <laughs> something painful themselves mentally most of the time, and they just don't know how to deal with it. And unfortunately for them, they've, they're in a place where they don't have a community. And the crazy part is some normal guy from Ohio decided to put his music up online that reached out in a way that was palatable enough and was honest enough to where they felt comfortable reaching out to a complete stranger through a phone call to bear their soul. And that is a super humbling and honorable position to be in, to have fans that are like that. And then to realize that if they put that much trust in me, I need to honor that trust and do what's best for them as well. So like, and, and that's the crazy part is I I've had a lot of fans that have, I've walked that path with them. And again, there's a lot of things that I can't help with. My, my goal is to point people in the directions and be more of a, a signpost because as an artist, I can help point people in the right direction, but I can't be like that person for everybody. And I think every artist needs to come to that conclusion. There's no way that you can walk everybody through every single trial, but you can be the light and the hope that points them in the right direction and on the right path so they can get the help that they need.
And thankfully, a lot of those people who've called me, whether it was with a bottle of pills in their hand or with guns in the house, have taken the right steps to be able to do that. And I don't count that as because of anything specific I did other than I was just available. I was willing to bear my soul out and be honest with people and enough for them to be able to do the same thing back with me. And then to honor that trust by saying, okay, like I, I'm going to continue to walk this path because I'm all in on this. Like I can't imagine now having gone halvesies on my music career up to this point, realizing that there's several lives that wouldn't be here any longer if I wasn't willing to take the leap of faith that I did and the continual walk of faith every single day. And that just juices me up to say, cool, how can I be that for the next person? How can I write the next song that can impact somebody in a way that points them back to where they need to go so that they can keep living and breathing? And ultimately, like my my key phrase is to comfort the afflicted and confront the comfortable. I believe that if I'm doing music well, I can comfort people who are walking through affliction, whatever that looks like for them. But then those same people, as they've walked through that, as they've been comforted through it, will then turn around and see all that affliction and everything they've walked through as an opportunity for them to go after other people and comfort them and not just say, cool, now that I have comfort myself, I'm just going to camp here for the rest of my life. It's more now that you've made it here and, and you've been comforted and you've seen people wrap their arms around you, how can you go be that person for somebody else? Huh. Dang, dude, that is some powerful stuff. The world is such a better place for having Matt Fawcett. In it. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah. I think the, the last question here that I'd love to wrap up with um, yeah. is yeah, for, for a lot of us, yeah, I think as musicians, especially early on, there's a stage you have to go through where you don't necessarily have the validation yet mm. from other people, from fans necessarily. Maybe it's like friends and family who kind of have to support you. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you haven't necessarily had that experience where you've realized the the impact that your music is is making on on fans. And so, other than here, you talk about your own journey. You know, did you ever experience that sense of of self doubt or like, am I good enough? And you know, any particular moments that experiences that you had where you realized fully, like, wow, like this is the the impact that our music has had. I know you just shared, you know, a couple of, of them in terms of you know, people calling up on the phone, but I'd be curious to hear other specific moments that, that come to mind. Yeah. I think that doubt as far as an artist, am I good enough is like a day, <laughs> a daily battle between our ears where it's mm -hmm. like, man, like I hear all this other stuff that I love, I'm like, Oh, that just sounds perfect. And that sounds amazing. And I, you know, I aspire to that. And then I listen to my own stuff and we're always going to be our biggest critic. And I think one of the most helpful things that I ever learned was actually from a professor back in college that said, most projects are never finished. They are abandoned. So huh. you may get to the end of your single and think, oh, but I could do it one more. I could do it one more. And I was actually forced to do this because of some different circumstances, the calendar year, the last song that I did, I had two days to write, record it and release it. Now, granted, if I was a much better musician and I was planning ahead, I wouldn't have been in that situation. But that's the situation I was in. And so my thought process was how do I write a song that's going to meet people where they are and help them walk through the holidays through Christmas in the chaos of what it is and actually enjoy it. And instead of viewing the chaos as, oh, this isn't perfect, as, man, like, this is life. Like, because at some point in time, the kids are going to be grown and gone. Time's going to pass away. And the chaos that we used to hate are going to be the memories that we so deeply adore and enjoy and wish for again. And being forced to be in that role, I have to write this. And it's got to get done because I committed to it made me write. I think one of the best, best Christmas songs I've ever written, but probably one of my best songs to date. But I also believe that my best songs aren't written. The next, the best song that I'll write is going to be the next one. And as soon as that one's written, it's going to be the next one. Hmm. And if you're an artist who hasn't found validation outside of friends and family or the people that like have to just understand that finding your community takes time because you have to understand yourself and what you're writing in order to be able to find the people who are going to love it and enjoy it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like don't 
don't allow the critics because everybody can be a critic and everybody is a critic on some level, but don't allow those critics to be the one person that keeps you from finding your community. Um, mm. Because everybody can be a gatekeeper for every single community out there by saying, Oh, nobody's going to like this, all this. I had that literally like three weeks ago. Somebody told me that I should, I shouldn't quit my day job and never do music again. Like, well, already did, <laughs> but you can either look at that and be like, oh, well, they're right. Going to give up or just be like, you know, what? my music's not for them. So it's not for you. It's for somebody else. And if, again, it comes back to you can't please everybody. So don't try, but mm -hmm. look at really just allow your music to be a service towards the people it's supposed to be for. And it may take you some time finding out who those people are, but that's part of the journey and the fun of it. Like for the longest time, the music I wrote, I didn't want it to be for like the Christian radio Becky caricature because I wanted to be for something more, do this or whatever. Guess what? My biggest fans are the caricature of the Christian radio Becky. And I appreciate and I love those fans so much more now because of realizing the person that I needed to change in order to be able to accept who I can help. If I wasn't willing to take on that role, like, no, I have to make music for somebody else then sure I could try to force it. But ultimately like finding your community is using your created giftedness and how you're created to basically find where you're, what you're good at and what you love and you enjoy and marrying it with how you can serve people. And when mm -hmm. you find those two things together, that's what allows you the opportunities to be at, to be able to have those life-saving conversations with people, to be able to make a true impact on the world because of your music, because you're serving people where there's a gap that they need. And that's where I think music will never have the greatest hits album that solves everything because all humanity needs different people to be saying things in different ways that truly impact their life where it is now and where it's mm -hmm. going to be. And so we need music to continue. We need, we need songwriters that are better than I am that are better than the people that are on top 40 hits right now, because we need other human beings to remind us of what's true and to, remind us all to keep going and to find our communities so that we can continue to serve other people. And so the, the comments will come as you find your real people. So keep searching for your community and your people because they're out there. They just, you're, you're going to have to do the hard work to find them because they're not looking for you yet because they don't know you exist. So you have to let the world know you exist in order for them to be able to find you. Hmm. Well, dang, man, that is some powerful stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a honor watching you and watching your journey, you know, with, with your music. And yeah, I know in, in some of our mastermind retreats, you shared some stories about like directly hearing the impact that your music is making on, on your fans. And I won't name any specific names, but you know, the story that you told about one of your, one of your fans who their family, when you perform that show for them said mm -hmm. it was the first time that they've seen their mom smile in, in yeah. months. She was going through a difficult time. Uh, it was just awesome. A great reminder of the value that we provide as, as musicians and the ability to, in your words, comfort the afflicted and, and then you verse and afflict the comfortable. Or yeah, confront the comfortable. Confront yeah. the Yeah, you're not going to afflict the, <laughs> the comfortable. Yeah, I don't want to cause any pain, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the fact that you have such clarity around your mission, you know, and your mission statement. Yeah, you know, I think it's really powerful. And it's a lesson that all of us can can learn from is kind of coming to, you know, coming up with a short phrase or something that really embodies your purpose and, and your message. So mm -hmm. Matt, man, always a pleasure connecting with you. Yeah, Thank you for being who you are and being a light for your fans, your community, and for all of us here as uh, modern musicians. So for anyone that is listening to this right now who would like to connect more with the one and only Matt Fawcett, where would be the best place for them to go to connect deeper? Yeah. I mean, if you're an artist and you want to connect and you have questions about it, you can always reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. It's just Matt Fawcett. Fawcett spelled like Farah, even though there's no relation, unfortunately. But yeah. And if you want to go through my whole system of joining to be a fan and all that stuff and see what I do for my fans, if you go to matt.fawcettmusic.com slash streaming, can hear a song from me join the community and uh, yeah i i'll say this i don't do it perfectly and there's a lot of things you can learn from both my pros and cons and my mistakes and my wins 
And I'm not scared of sharing either of them, both my wins and my failures, because my hope is that whatever I do in this life, it can help point somebody towards what they can do for somebody else. So that's for my kids, my family, my fans, anybody they interact with. I say this all the time when I go to play music at other places. I want everybody to have a good time. The fans, the booker, even the guy mixing sounds, the stagehands. Like if everybody has a great time and says, wow, that was an awesome experience, then I feel like I won. And I think if we have that attitude as we go at everything in life, if I can make everybody win that I interact with or take another step towards greatness for themselves, then that's a success and a win for me. So. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, dude, again, like one, one last time, I, I feel like what I appreciate so much about you, Matt, is just how much you embody the opportunity that we all have now as, you know, you know quote unquote, modern musicians that you, know, you don't necessarily have to sound like a top 40 artist and, you know, your music is like self-produced and mm-hmm. you do a ton of like of self-production, which is awesome. <laughs> But, you know, you are able to walk the walk and you're able to make this impact on your fans because you're willing to show up as you are and just, you know, take one step at a time. So I think that's a a valuable lesson for all of us. So, yeah, man, great connecting. Like always, thank you for coming on the podcast. And I'll talk talk to you again soon. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.